ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Okay, so this story is wild. It's 2008, Isla Lucas is 23 years old and she's been travelling through Nepal and India with a friend. I love the chaos of it. It's just sensory overload. Loved it. Now they're in Mumbai, their last stop on the trip. On their final morning in the city, her friend wants to go to this one particular cafe. Yes, and I try to stay away from a lot of the real touristy hotspots. So my friend had obviously read in Lonely Planet. She's like, well, Leopold's Cafe is the place to go. Mm. Oh, it's super touristy. I don't really... Okay, let's go. (laughs) Anyway, it's a beautiful cafe. I can understand why it's a tourist hotspot. Beautiful Raj-era decorations, tiled walls. But we went to this cafe and I just was restless. It wasn't like a sudden feeling. It was like, "I I don't want to be here. I was unsettled and I was constantly looking around didn't feel comfortable. I was just sitting bolt upright, arms like flat on the table. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't relaxed and I couldn't figure out why. Like my mind was like, just chill, Isla. Like, what's mm. going on? But my body was very much like, I've, I've got to go. I've got to go. <laughs> Her reaction is extra weird because the atmosphere in the cafe is totally normal. Everyone's relaxed. Everyone, yeah. But there is one detail, Isla Clocks. I didn't notice shady people, but I did notice, because it was the first time in our trip that I'd noticed a high concentration of tourists. I was like, there's no Indian people here. Everyone's speaking English. Everyone's British, American, Mm. Irish, Canadian. Isla and her friend have a quick snack and a coffee, and then they leave. We probably would have stayed a lot longer if I had not been so jittery and keen to get out of there. They walk the 10 minutes back to their hotel, pack up, and get in a cab to the airport not long after. It wasn't until we were in the taxi and my taxi driver turned the radio up and it was all in Hindi or Urdu and he was starting to get quite panicked and then he was telling us in broken English that there was a terrorist attack, there's been gunfire, there's been shooting. Gunmen were searching out people with American and British passports. And it wasn't until we got to the airport, maybe half an hour later, that we saw that the cafe that we had been in had been attacked and government had entered and started shooting indiscriminately. In fact, that day was the beginning of a four-day siege on the city, a terrorist attack that would eventually leave more than 170 people dead, including two Australians. grenades and guns, they targeted some of Mumbai's best-known landmarks. And Cafe Leopold was one of the first sites targeted. And then we look back on photos, the timestamps, we would have missed it by 25, 30 minutes. This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. What the heck was Isla sensing in that cafe? Looking back now, what do you put that decision or desire to leave that cafe down to? Like, do you think of it as intuition or gut instinct yeah. or luck or what? Yeah, no, I think there's an element of intuition. I mean, we all have those times. I think everyone has had it where they've just known something without knowing mm-hmm. it. And I think that that was one of those times. So that is what we're going to explore today. Those moments of intuition, those gut feelings that tell us something. Because pretty much everyone I've spoken to over the course of putting together this episode has a story like this. Maybe not in such high stakes situations, but gut feelings nonetheless. So we're going to get to the bottom of what it is. Like what was Isla picking up on that no one else seemed to? It's like Spidey sense, you know, from (laughs) Spider-Man. Where I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not risking this, like it doesn't feel right. So a lot of people will define it as something spiritual or magical or tapping into the, the, the blueprint of the universe. Today, spidey sense, tingles, gut feeling, what intuition is, where it comes from, and whether we should always trust it. 
my God, when you saw that, what did what went through your mind? Oh my God, we were so close. And it was my friend, she was really upset, like how close we were, but I was like, that was such a near miss. Mm. And because you had left the area, there was some, I understand there was some confusion about your whereabouts initially, is is that right? Yes, so this was like back in 2008, so I didn't have an iPhone yet, and because you have to buy credit, and it was a rigmarole back then. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I'd gotten on a plane, and when I finally got into like some sort of internet, I had all these missed calls from friends, families, like 35 missed oh, calls from people. Wow. Random, like something like that's my old boss. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. When Isla thinks back to what she was feeling at Cafe Leopold that morning, she's at a loss to explain her behaviour, apart from pure gut instinct. Yeah, I've never been able to pinpoint why I couldn't wait to get out of there, but my body was reacting. And do you have any sense of like, what do you think intuition or gut instinct is? Do you know? Oh my goodness, I wouldn't know where to begin. Mm. No. I don't, I don't know if it's our subconscious. I don't, I don't know. Our brains are so complex and I suppose we're only just starting to scratch the surface of what they're capable yeah. of. And so I'm going to be speaking to a couple of researchers who look into this kind of stuff. I'm curious, yeah. if, what, what questions do you have about gut instinct or intuition? Like what, what still piques your curiosity? What are we capable of? Like what's the brain capable of? I, I find that quite intimidating thinking if my brain could have picked up that if it was that that was setting me off mm-hmm. what what was it what was it was it frequencies was it oh just i don't know yeah, yeah yeah i have to say i was just as curious to know as i love because i have my own story of intuition that's kind of like hers more on that later but in the meantime i consulted two researchers valerie van mulukum i'm a senior lecturer in psychology at oxford brooks university in the united kingdom she researches the psychology of intuition and i also spoke to joel pearson i'm a professor of cognitive neuroscience at the university of new south wales he's also the author of the intuition toolkit the new science of knowing what without knowing why so my first question What is intuition? Like, how can we know things without knowing them? So (laughs) what we generally think of is that we've got normal cognition and then intuition just happens sometimes. It's like the odd thing out, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what I'm actually thinking is that, well, a lot of our thinking that we're doing is actually that non-conscious processing that we see in intuitive insights. It just so happens that sometimes this sort of processing comes to conscious awareness with some kind of shock, right? Like Often, Valerie says, that's in situations that have a kind of salience or importance to them. So having a gut feeling about not going down a dark alley or <laughs> having a gut feeling of making like a really important financial decision. These are situations where we have to pay attention, right? The salience tells us like, okay, okay, we need some extra information. Out. This is important. Another factor, Joel says, can influence when we might get a gut feeling is what we've learned in our past experiences. But first, he's keen to clear up what he means when he's talking about intuition. So a lot of people will define it as something spiritual or magical. That's not how I define it, surprise, surprise, being a neuroscientist. So I define it as a learnt, productive use of unconscious information for better decisions or actions. Bit of a mouthful, but a lot of some key words there. So I think the best way to think about it would be you walk into a restaurant or a cafe Mm -hmm. and as you walk in, your sensory, your brain is processing a thousand different things and you're not necessarily aware of each and every one of those. might be the music, the tablecloths, the fashion. So all your, your brain's processing all of that 
And through many visits to cafes before, you've built or you've learned associations between positive or negative outcomes. You know, this kind of music, this kind of style, good coffee, this kind of temperature, this kind of smell, bad food, food poisoning, right? Right. So as you walk in there, it's triggering these, the learning is triggering associations and you're feeling it in your body. It's something called interoception, which is a fancy word for just saying internal perception. So we know that unconscious things can trigger emotional responses Mm -hmm. that we're not aware of but our body if you like is or it responds so your heart rate will go up you'll start sweating a little bit more and that's what's happening so people are feeling it in this gut response in their chest sometimes some people talk about it in their fingertips people have learned to use that as a way if you like of tapping into this unconscious information so is it like, yeah, basically pattern recognition, like unconscious pattern recognition that's going on in the brain? Yes, to a certain degree, but it's based on that prior learning. Right. If you walk into a cafe and you've never seen a cafe or a restaurant mm. before, your intuition is not really going to be that useful because you haven't built those associations. That all makes sense, but how does that explain Isla's intuition at that Mumbai cafe? What she noticed about it was that it was beautiful. Beautiful Raj-era decorations, tiled walls. Everyone seemed relaxed. Everyone, yeah. And she noticed it was a tourist hotspot. I didn't notice shady people, but I did notice the high concentration of tourists. But it's not like she'd been in a terrorist attack before, which might have given her prior learning about that kind of situation. They left. That place was shot up as part of So I told both Valerie and Joel her story. Wow, that's, that's some story. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because Interestingly, that, yeah, it's, it's they both made the same points. I can think of two maybe um, partial explanation for this. One okay. is that she said she didn't, it was just tourists and she didn't pick up on anything. She didn't pick up on anything consciously, right? Right. <laughs> so it's possible that she did see someone behaving in a nervous way or something like that. I think... People aren't necessarily aware of the cues they're picking up on, so for one. So it may have been the the flow of people going in and out of there. Mm -hmm. Maybe there were the people there that that somehow were triggering these sort of red flags for Mm -hmm. intuition, right? Whatever it was, I I don't know. And I don't think she would know either. So this is sort of the interesting part of this that you're not really – you can't tap into these things very well. Sometimes you can, but not always. The other one is like the survivor bias, right, which – has a double meaning here, I guess. Mm-hmm. The fact that this has happened confirms the intuition retrospectively, but it might also have been, you know, I can imagine that I've gone to a place in the past during my travels that I couldn't settle and then I left and then nothing happened afterwards. And so I forgot about mm. my uncomfortable feeling at that particular time. I normally make this point with dreams and premonitions and plane crashes. So most people will dream many, many times a night. And when they're emotional dreams, we're more likely to remember them. So if we're dreaming about a plane crash, we're more likely to remember those. Mm. So if you run the numbers of how many, let's say it's five dreams per night, and you multiply that by the number of people living in Australia, you get quite a large number. And what you find out is that every time there's a plane crash, you would absolutely expect multiple people to have dreamed about a plane crash the night before. Right. So when that happens, it shouldn't be surprising. Okay. But it is surprising. So in other words, we get probabilities wrong a lot of the time when we can't help but see patterns in things where there are no patterns. In other words, for the cafe uh, example, it, it could have been, a, in other words, a coincidence. But yeah, I wouldn't want to uh, judge which one it is there. I'm glad she was able to get away. Ah, a coincidence? That one's a bit of an unsatisfying explanation. But yes, 
very plausible. But let's just stick with option one for a moment, because that's a fun one. So if she was picking up on cues in the environment without knowing it, my question is, why would she have been picking up on them when no one else around her seemed to be? Yeah, I think there might be two reasons for that. So one is that some people are better tuned to their intuition for several reasons for that. I've done some research which suggests that people who practice mindfulness more often seem to be better at picking up intuitive cues or at least self-report that they are better at this. The other one might be that much like creativity, she might have been more in the in the zone. So sometimes you're just not in the right state to mm. listen, right? Sometimes you're too focused on whatever you're thinking about. Mm. So I think those two things combined would make some people attend to a situation that might be there and others not. There is huge individual differences. So what we know from the research we've done and other people that some people report making everyday decisions very intuitively, they feel it more, other people not so much. Now there are differences in cultures. When you give surveys to men or women, women tend to report making more intuitive decisions, making more, having more magical beliefs, except when it comes to sports and gambling, then, then it flips and men become really superstitious. And so right. you see those kind of trends in more Asian cultures, things like intuition seem to be on a sort of high pedestal and they sort of okay. seem to be more respected. But again, this kind of research has been done with questionnaires and interviews and things like that. We haven't had a chance yet to use our objective measures to try and sort of answer these, these cultural or gender or sex differences. Right. I wanted to know what Isla had to say about Joel and Valerie's thoughts, especially their theories about why she might have been having a reaction in that cafe in Mumbai, that maybe she was picking up on cues in the environment without realising it, or maybe it was all a coincidence. So I sent her the audio. Here's what she had to say. Yeah, what did you make of those two theories? Um, I, I thought that interesting, like the survivor's guilt was interesting. Mm. I was like, because the amount of times you do have these little feelings yeah. and then nothing happens. So I was like, well, am I just thinking about it because I had that gut feeling and then something did happen? I was thinking also like, oh, I'm quite a ner- I, I wasn't back then, but I'm quite a nervous flyer. And that day we had a flight, so I don't know if I was nervous about that. Yeah, I wondered about that, whether that played into your jitteriness at all. Yeah, I can be. I'm one of these people that gets to the airport four hours early. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think... I don't, Do you I actually don't, remember I'm, feeling anxious about the flight or is that just something you're thinking now, maybe looking back? No, no, I think I'm just thinking that now in retrospect. Um, could be many things, so multifactorial for sure. Does it make you doubt your actual intuition at all like in terms of knowing something spooky that others didn't know uh no i think oh i'm not very in tune with it anyway but i do get these feelings all the time and nothing happens (laughs) right okay (laughs) so there may well be a much more prosaic answer to why isla was having a gut feeling at cafe leopold hard to say but there is something about intuition and safety that hits a nerve especially with women Okay, this is pretty anecdotal, but most women I know have had a gut feeling relating to a person or place that made them feel unsafe at some point in time. Valerie earlier gave the example of a dark alley. So having a gut feeling about not going down a dark alley. (laughs) And that is as good a segue as any into my story about intuition. That's, I laugh when you say dark alley because that's exactly my story of 
gut instinct, which I'll tell you, uh, it was many, many years ago now. I was backpacking Europe and I'd landed back in London late at night, like at 2 a.m. or something. And the bus that was going to take me towards my uh, hostel only got so close. And I was kind of actually stranded at a bus stop 30 minutes away from my hostel on the side of a highway. And so I, I was tossing up, what the heck do I do? There's no one around. I'm stranded. And so if I've got to walk, I would have to walk via this underpass that went under the highway. So initially I was like, okay, I guess, well, that's what I've got to do. And so I started making my way towards the underpass. And as I got closer and closer, my it was like my body lit on fire or something. I don't know. Every sense was like just pinging and saying, don't mm. go in there. My brain was screaming, don't, don't do it. And initially I was like, this is weird. And I kept sort of inching towards the underpass. And as I got closer, the feelings got more intense until I was actually just started crying, like sobbing um, the closer I got. And at that point, I was like, okay, I think I need to, whatever this is, listen to it and not go in this underpass. And I hope my mother and father never hear this story because it's like every parent's nightmare of a 20-year-old backpacking Europe. Anyways, I didn't go in. So I have no way of knowing whether my gut instinct was correct and, and saved me from something. I, you know, there's no way to prove that. Yeah. But is that, is like, what, what do you make of that? Because like, that was such a bizarre experience to me that I remember it all these years later. Yeah, I think, that, thank you for sharing that story. Really interesting. I, I think it highlights actually the embodied side of cognition. We think about what does the brain do and where does this and that happen in the brain? And, you know, what do I think? But actually, more and more research is showing us that cognition is really embodied, right? right. What I think might have happened in your situation is that your unconscious processing picked up on several cues that then alerted you to the body's assessment of the situation, mm. which then might have felt as a as a gut feeling. I would add that, you know, were you particularly tired? What do you say it was 2 a.m.? It was 2 a.m., yeah, I would have so, been tired for sure. When we're very tired or low blood sugar, our emotions can flare up in different ways. We have okay. less emotional control, if you want to say it like that. So it could be that you're in a more emotional state. Okay. But I don't want to sort of undermine either. Maybe you were picking up on the signs and, and, you, and your yeah. brain was saying, you know, you'd associate it with walking underpasses with yeah. being vulnerable through things you'd lived through yourself, but also other media mm-hmm. you consumed. So, yeah, it, it may have been legitimate and it may have saved you, but may we'll never know by the sound yeah. of it. Yeah. But that isn't the whole story of what happened that night. There's a part two that gets potentially even more dangerous. So after I didn't go into that underpass, a few minutes later, a car pulled up, two guys got out to like change a tire or something, and they noticed I was kind of alone and stranded. My phone at this time wasn't working either, which is, yeah, terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they kind of said, do you want to live somewhere? And initially I was like, no, it's okay. (laughs) And then as they kept, you know, doing whatever they were doing with their car, I was like, well, I kind of have zero options here. I can't walk to where I want to go because I'm terrified of that underpass. They seem okay. And so in the end, again, mom and dad, I'm so sorry, I got in the car with them. And it almost felt like my analytical brain was like, this is a very dangerous situation. Like, objectively, this is a crazy thing to be doing. But my gut instinct part, my intuition felt like I didn't feel in danger. I I had a sense that I'd be okay with them. And I was. I made it to my hostel 10 minutes later. All was fine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tricky. What was the time gap? Was it like half an hour later or Ooh, a long time good later? Good question. My God, it's been like 15 years. Because it sounds um, like maybe you, your system calmed down, your emotional response 
your physiology would have sort of dropped down a few states. I mean, you're probably analyzing all the different body language, eye contact, clothes. I wonder whether that was what you picked up on, some kind of thrust, whether it was misplaced or not. It could have, I guess, gone wrong. Because the downside of intuition is it also uses mental shortcuts. So like... We have all kinds of biases, like familiarity bias. We like better what is familiar to us and mm. so on, and conformity bias. And so what I'm wondering is if those two men look like people, for example, from your family or people you've seen before, then you might trust them on the basis of that gut instinct. But actually the gut instinct is based on the familiarity bias and it's not based on whether these men are trustworthy or not. Mm. That's the issue with intuition. There's no way of knowing, well, without rationally analyzing it is no way of knowing whether you are doing this really complex holistic processing or whether your brain is actually using some kind of shortcut and that's tricky the thing is those guys didn't look like anyone in my family they were white and they actually spoke polish to each other the whole car ride so i had no idea what they were saying which again not exactly the safest situation so if we go back to the beginning of this whole underpass saga Maybe I was unconsciously picking up on cues that stopped me from going in there. Maybe it was all a fluke. And maybe, actually probably, I was just damn lucky nothing went wrong that night. I made a series of dumb decisions that landed me on the side of a highway at 2am, and I was just lucky I got out okay. But Valerie raises an interesting point about bias. If you're not careful, gut feelings can be sullied by bias. Intuition can develop bias, just like an AI can. So if you train your intuition in a biased environment or you watch a lot of old movies that are particularly sexist or biased Mm. racially in one way or another, you can pick up on that. So it is worth also pointing out that there can be a bias built into learning. That's interesting. So, yeah, for people listening, how can they assess when their intuition is crossing over into cognitive bias, which they look out for. Yeah, so there's different, well, it depends what we mean by cognitive bias. With cognitive bias and all kinds of things, so everything from vision, there's visual illusions, optical illusions, mm-hmm. which are a type of bias. Mm-hmm. There's memory illusions. It's kind of everywhere. It's mm. the way the brain is wired. And then not intuition, I, I want to point out, even though the system one, system two, Kahneman sort of ideas tends to bunch all that together and under one, everything that we do without logical conscious thinking gets put into the system one idea i'm not a fan of that at all i think that general system one system two is very very general it's 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 too general to be helpful on an individual decision level really i think that brings us back to the question of how can you know when to trust your gut feelings and when to disregard them yeah this is a million dollar question right (laughs) like so what i would suggest is that you follow your intuition in the areas that you have a lot of experience or expertise in for example when a doctor might have a gut feeling about you know when they see a patient that might be a combination of what they've learned as well as having seen patients over the years presenting with similar symptoms or something. I had this acronym SMILE. So smile before you use your intuition. (laughs) And that's sort of the, the letters signify these five rules for when it's safe to trust intuition. So S is really self-awareness, and that is be aware of your emotional state. And if you're feeling emotional, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, maybe you just won the lottery. Any any strong emotion, don't trust your intuition for a couple of reasons. One is that we are likely to misattribute the subtle feelings of uh, intuition for these other stronger feelings. I'm going to pause there because the one caveat to this might be in the context of personal safety. Following your intuition is probably okay, even if you're in an emotional state in that kind of situation. 
Because, like, there was no great cost to not going into the underpass for me or simply choosing to leave the cafe for Isla. But, on the other hand, you also wouldn't want to get in the habit of cancelling flights, for example, every time you're anxious or stressed because you have a feeling you shouldn't fly. So there's nuance around this. In general, though, being aware of your emotional state, as Joel says, is definitely helpful. And then there's M for mastery. We kind of mentioned that earlier, that don't use intuition for something you haven't had experience with. How much experience? It's different for everyone. But for example, if you've never played tennis before, you don't want to just run in there and start trying to be a, you know, a wacky, <laughs> intuitive tennis player. So that's the S and M in smile. I stands for instincts and addiction. So this is an interesting one. And so the sort of primary thing here is not to confuse intuition or a feeling of intuition for anything which is addictive. Right. So whether that be food, drugs, alcohol, social media, gambling, you know, I want to check my phone, I want to just give, I want a cigarette or whatever right. it might Do be. Do people conflate that as gut instinct? Yeah, they, well, yeah so they, the pull towards those things can feel natural and okay. meaningful and it can be sort of confused with intuition, but it's not intuition. Next is L, and that stands for... Low probability. So we mentioned probabilities before, but anything around numbers and probabilities we're just really bad at. So my grandmother smoked until she was 90, therefore I don't believe any of this date. Like, these kind of things, it's very misleading. Finally, the E in SMILE stands for... Environment or context. So, interestingly, we mentioned learning and mastery, the M. So that's kind of associative learning is context-specific. So what you would learn in the office won't transfer well to in the house, at home. So the example I give of this often is is Steve Jobs. That's, of course, the co-founder of Apple. He died in 2011, at the age of 56, from pancreatic cancer. He loved intuition. He used it for product design, for the general direction of Apple, made some amazing calls. Mm -hmm. Then when it came to his home life and his health in particular, towards the end of his life, he made some very poor decisions, you know, not, not getting surgery, you know, trying to solve things with diet. So his intuition, which he was a master of in the workplace, didn't transfer well to his home life and his health. It's that kind of example that leads to a lot of conflicting feelings about intuition, both among researchers and the public. Yeah, part of the confusion has been what what it is, because right. people think of it as this as a magical, mystical thing, and so they don't want to be associated with that. Some people love being associated with that, of course, so, <laughs> right. so there's a difference there. But then also inside psychology, it's been very mixed as well. So there's been psychologists sort of arguing that intuition is bad, there's bias there, we should stay away from it, it's dark. Other people say, no, we should trust it. And I don't think it's black and white, it's neither one or the other. Okay. Like I said before, if you have mastery, if you have learning for something, that's a tick, you can start to trust it there. And given the fact that both my story and Isla's both had to do with safety. You could argue one area women learn to become experts just by virtue of being women in the world is safety. I think you're right. Like, it just so happens that women might come across situations with threats more walking on the street at night Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so personally, I pay attention to my intuition in highly salient situations. So, for example, ones that have potential danger to them or ones that I have a lot of knowledge or expertise in, because then I know that this intuitive processing that's happening below my conscious awareness is is taking this database of knowledge and experience that I have. So the intuition that comes out of it is more likely to be trustworthy than other intuitions that I might have. And so the Mumbai experience, such a close brush with death, how has that experience 
changed you? I think to just be a bit or more... Or has it? Bit, yeah, it ha- uh, not really. I still travel extensively. Um, just be a bit more aware of my surroundings, especially travelling alone. I do, I do find myself avoiding tourist hotspots. If I'm going to go, I go early in the morning when it's not so crowded. And uh, yeah, it hasn't stopped me. Like, I would love to go to India again. Yeah, um, I was going to say, have you been back? I haven't been back, no. But then uh, that was 2008. And I just wonder if my... As you get older, I suppose your tolerance gets less. Uh, <laughs> but I would love to go back. I would love to go back because I did love India. Mm. And so, if there was one piece of advice you could leave people with, based on your experience, what would that be? Um, trust your gut. But just to be smart traveller, people. If you're going to a country that <laughs> that can be questionable at times, please register a smart traveller. <laughs> Good advice. Your embassy does care. <laughs> That is avid traveller Isla Lucas. You also heard from Joel Pearson, Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience at the University of New South Wales and author of the Intuition Toolkit, as well as Valerie Van Mullicom, Senior Lecturer in Psychology at Oxford Brookes University in the UK. This episode of All in the Mind was produced by Fiona Pepper and Rose Kerr. It was written, edited and presented by me, Sana Kadar, and it was mixed by sound engineer Russell Stapleton. And that's it for the show this week. Thank you for listening. I've got a gut feeling I will catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.